0: I want to echo echo Pastor David in welcoming you, those of you who are brand new, maybe you're here for the first time or, or maybe the second or third time we have been working our way through the gospel according to John, taking it kind of verse by verse, section by section to see a portrait emerge of who Jesus is and wonder at what he has done for us. There are always different high points in every book of the Bible and this is certainly one of The high points, not only in the gospel according to John, but really in all of human history. As Jesus, our divine Savior and King, goes to the cross in our place. So with all that in mind, let's go to the reading of God's word. We're going to read a little bit of the same text that we read last week, but I think it's important to get the context of this. So we're going to read John 19, verses 1 through 22. This is God's word. Then Pilate... Has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered him, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we all come to you this morning as, as wicks that are flickering, asking that you would send fire from heaven, that you would in- ignite us, Lord God, with the tongues of fire, just as you did to the disciples in the upper room in the opening chapters of the book of Acts. We pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you would breathe your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life, into our lungs and into our souls, that we might come alive through the preaching of your word. Hear us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you think about when I say the word crown? Do you think about this crown? which is the crown of the British Empire here worn by Queen Elizabeth. Maybe you think of this crown. Maybe you think about the crown, which is my wife's favorite show on Netflix. Maybe you think of this crown, the legendary Ford Crown Victoria. The Crown Vic. Maybe you think of these crowns. The kind of crowns that send your dentist's kids to college. Just kidding, Dr. Butch. How many of you think of this crown? The crown of thorns. Now, if your first thought was the crown of thorns, then you are definitely in the minority. This in spite of the fact that the crown of thorns is one of the most iconic images in all of Scripture. It's such a a powerful image that no less than four films about the life of Jesus depict him wearing the crown of thorns as the central iconic image of the film. For Christians, the crown of thorns reminds us that we worship a crucified king. A king who put Satan to open shame by dying one of the most shameful and ignoble deaths that a human being could possibly die. A king who won the greatest victory by suffering seemingly the greatest defeat. A king who demonstrated his power by suffering in weakness. A king who was cursed. So that we might be blessed. A king who died. So that we, his people, might live. For Christians, this blood-soaked symbol of mockery and shame has become one of the most glorious symbols of our faith. An ever-present reminder that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. A kingdom where the strong become weak. And the weak become strong this morning as we return once again to john chapter 19 to consider the suffering and death of jesus on the cross i want us to ask two big questions first why did jesus wear a crown and a second related question why did jesus wear a crown made of thorns Along the way, we'll ask, is Jesus your king? And we'll ponder the implications of that question. What does it mean for your family life? What does it mean for your work? What does it mean for our church? What does it mean in the ballot box? What does it mean in our culture? What does it mean on social media? Now, keep in mind that of those two questions, we'll be spending most of our time on the first of the two questions. The second is really more of the conclusion to the sermon. I point that out only so that you don't get nervous while we're still in point one, 27 minutes into the sermon. (laughs) He hasn't even got to point two. We'll be here all day. Why did Jesus wear a crown? And why did he wear a crown of thorns let's take a closer look first big question the biggest question why did jesus wear a crown jesus wore a crown because john the author of this gospel wants us to know that jesus is king As I reviewed these verses, I counted no less than 10 references to kings and kingdoms. Some of them are very explicit. Some of them are a little bit more subtle, implicit. But the whole section really revolves around the answer to the question that Pilate asked Jesus in John 18, verse 33, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, yes, I am the king of the Jews. The religious said, leaders said, no, he is not the king of the Jews. And Pilate didn't know what to think. In the story, the soldiers mocked the idea uh, that Jesus was a king. They put a, a purple robe on his back, a back that had been ripped to shreds as he was flogged before he was crucified. They placed a crown of thorns on his head, then proceeded to mock him as the blood poured down his face shouting and laughing hail king of the jews when pilate presented jesus to the crowds he said behold your king and the religious leaders said we have no king but caesar now if john is right and i think he is If Jesus really is the king, then it's worth asking, what kind of king is King Jesus? Is he a dictator king, an authoritarian king who came to give us rules and regulations, the kind of king who administers the death penalty capriciously to anyone who steps out of line, the kind of king who demands taxes in the form of tithes and offerings, which we collect every Sunday morning without fail. Is he an unreasonable king, the kind of king who demands blind faith, no questions allowed? Is he corrupt? Is he ambitious? Is he duplicitous? Given the fact that it seems most politicians lie, how could our king, King Jesus, call himself the truth? Now, this passage answers some of those questions, but if we broaden the parameters of our search just a little bit to look at what all the Gospel writers say in all the Gospels, we find all kinds of answers to this question. What kind of king was Jesus? Why did Jesus wear a crown? Well, from the very opening chapters of all the Gospel accounts, the Gospel writers make it clear that Jesus was born born to be our king according to the eyewitnesses jesus was born in bethlehem the city where israel's greatest king king david was born bethlehem was known as the city of david it was so famous for the birth of king david and all the old testament writers said that the greatest king the messianic king will be born in this city the city of bethlehem When Jesus was still a baby, he was visited by at least, probably more, wise men from the east, royal ambassadors, who came to King Herod asking him, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When we celebrate Christmas, we're not just celebrating the birth of of a very famous person. We're not simply celebrating the birth of the leader of a new religious movement. We're not just celebrating the birth of our Savior, our Creator, and our Sustainer, though we are. We're celebrating the birth of our King. Jesus is our anointed king. In the ancient world, kings were anointed. Prophets would pour oil on someone's head as a way of saying that God has chosen you to be the king over his people. God has set you apart to be a redeemer king of the people Israel. What happened to Jesus when he was baptized? When Jesus was baptized, he was anointed not by a prophet, not by a priest, Not by an earthly king. He was anointed to be king by God himself. Luke 3.21 Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son and with you I am well pleased. Here's the point. Anyone can anoint themselves to be the king. The world is filled with self proclaimed kings, people who grab power through coups and revolutions and rigged elections. That's not how Jesus came to power. He was anointed by God the Father, he was anointed by God the Holy Spirit. He was chosen by God to be our king. That means that everything that Jesus says and everything that Jesus does carries God's divine stamp of approval. We can trust him. We can count on him. He is legitimate. He is our anointed king. Jesus is our honest, trustworthy king. Sadly, we live in a world where we almost expect our political leaders to be corrupt. We have lobbyists and special interest groups and political action committees to launder funds. Somehow, some way, most of our politicians go to Washington as sort of fairly normal middle-class people and they all leave as multi-multi-millionaires. Maybe the thing happens the same way in Tallahassee. I haven't really been paying attention which is probably the the reason why they all leave as multi-multi-millionaires. But I digress. The point is, it seems like everybody's corrupt. Everybody's on the take. Everybody except Jesus. When Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness and offered him a bribe, He said, see all the kingdoms of the world, all these kingdoms could be yours if you bow down and worship me. A deal that 99% of all politicians would gladly accept. Jesus said no. Luke 4 verse 8. And Jesus answered him, it is written, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve complete honesty complete integrity jesus was the same person that he was in public as he was in private when no one was watching that means we can trust jesus bring him your questions bring him your doubts Bring him your fears. He has no ulterior motives. He never has his fingers crossed. You can be completely open and completely honest with Jesus, knowing that he will be completely open and completely honest with you. In a world filled with lies and liars and half-truths and half-truth tellers, a world where you never really know who you can trust. You can trust Jesus. He is our honest, trustworthy King. Jesus is our compassionate King. He's a King who cares about the poor and the oppressed. Matthew 9:36 When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you are poor, if you are oppressed, if you are harassed, if you are helpless, if you are discouraged, King Jesus, our King, cares about you. Now you might not have a friend in the mayor's office, you might not have a friend in the White House, but you have a friend who is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Might I humbly suggest that's better. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Jesus is our gentle king. When the disciples brought babies to Jesus, babies like Leon Lewis Dean, who was born on Thursday, praise God, Jesus did not turn those babies away. Jesus did not say, I'm too busy for this. I'm a king. You cannot bring babies to come see the king. Jesus welcomed those babies into his kingdom. Mark 10, 14, Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs, what? The kingdom of God. Jesus says, let the babies come to me, let the orphans come, let the widows come, let the prisoners come. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you come to Jesus in repentance and faith, he will receive you into his kingdom. Our king, the king of glory, the king of compassion, the king of grace will welcome you with open arms. Jesus is our wise king. Jesus is a king who was wiser than King Solomon, who was, humanly speaking, the wisest human king who ever lived. He's the king who taught the disciples the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We still talk about the golden rule today. It came from Jesus. He's a king who said, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. You know those good Sam stickers on the back of uh, RVs and campers? That comes from the parable of the Good Samaritan, a parable that was told by Jesus, the wisest king who ever lived. Jesus famously compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. And he famously compared the love of God to the kind of love that a father has for his wayward children, including his prodigal son. Jesus is the source of all wisdom. You could read every self-help book listed on Amazon, and you could find a few good things in there. All truth is God's truth. But you will never find wisdom like this. You will never find someone who understands who God is and who we are and where we're going and how we get there like King Jesus, our wise and mighty king. Jesus is our triumphant king. Before going to Jerusalem, before going to the cross, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. That's significant because in the ancient world, kings would ride out to battle on horses, and they would ride back after winning the battle on the backs of donkeys. John 12, verse 12 Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. No matter who wins the next election in November, no matter who wins the Super Bowl today, the 49ers or the Kansas City Swifts, (laughs) Jesus is the king. He was king yesterday, he is king today, he will be king forever and ever. And when he comes again, we will greet him with shouts of Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus wins. Jesus is king. Jesus is our courageous king. Verse 10 in our passage we read, So Pilate said to Jesus, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Does that not give you goosebumps? It does me. I mean, that is incredible. I mean, that is like some Jack Reacher, Jack Jack Ryan, you know, James Reese kind of stuff. He's like, You have no authority. Pilate wants him to beg for his life. Pilate wants him to plead. Oh, please, great Pilate, governor of Judea, please release me. Jesus is having none of it. He said, don't get this confused. I'm in charge here, not you. No matter what you do, you could do nothing if God the Father had not given you the ability to do it allow me to paraphrase psalm 27 verse 1 king jesus is my light and salvation whom shall i fear king jesus is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh evildoers like Pilate, evildoers like the Roman soldiers, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, though the Roman legions encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident." some of you are battered and bruised this morning some of you have come to worship and life has just been kicking you upside one side of the street and down the other side of the street i get it believe me i really do the good news of the gospel is that jesus your savior is also jesus your king You do not have to summon the courage to fight another day. Jesus has more than enough courage for you. If you ride into battle with him, no matter what you are facing, you can and will be victorious because Jesus is our courageous king. Jesus is the king of every nation. You see these flags? around the building this morning, around the the sanctuary, they not only represent all these different nations and all these different kingdoms, they represent one kingdom. They represent the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king over billions and billions of people. The sun never sets on the kingdom of God. How do we know? Well, Pilate gives us a little clue, an inadvertent clue, in verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. Now, why was it written in three languages? Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number From every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing where? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. There are those palm branches yet again. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Today, you can find Pilate's inscription written in Hebrew and in Arabic and in English and in French and in Hindi. Jesus is King. Yeshu Rajahe. You can find it in Chinese and Japanese and Korean. Yesun Wang Ishda. Jesus is King. You can find it in Spanish, and Portuguese, and Russian, and Hawaiian. You'll find it in Ugandan. Yesu, ye kabaka. Jesus is king. And someday, the whole world will say, not only in Aramaic, and Latin, and Greek, but in every single language that is spoken, or written, or understood on the face of this earth, Jesus is king. Jesus is also our personal king. He is the Lord of our lives. That means we owe him complete honor and loyalty and worship and obedience. There is nothing that our king cannot ask us to do. There is no place that our king cannot ask us to go. There is no autonomous zone where we're in charge. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of all. He is the king of our families, and our calling is to glorify Him, him in our homes, with the way we speak to one another, with the way the words that we say, with the way we spend our time and our money. Jesus is the king of our city, and our calling is to make this place look more and more like the kingdom of God as we live out the values of our kingdom amongst the poor and the needy and the oppressed, among those who are important and significant and powerful, and those who fall somewhere in between. Jesus is the king of our city. He's also the king of our church. And our calling as a church is to trust Him and to follow Him wherever He leads. This church is not my church. This church is not Kate's church or Pastor David's church or Leanne or Sean's church. It is not your church. It is Jesus' church. And we will follow Him wherever He leads us with joy in our hearts, crying out to our great and majestic King. As the great Dutch theologian and prime minister, not king, but prime minister, Abraham Kuyper, said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Jesus wore a crown because he is the King of kings and the Lord of all. And when we crucified him, we crucified our king. Second big question, why did Jesus wear a crown of thorns? Now, if everything that I've said is true, if Jesus really is a king, why does this scene end the way it ends? Why does not it end with a coronation instead of a crucifixion? Why did Jesus suffer and die? Why later will he be buried in a borrowed tomb like a pauper instead of a royal tomb like a king? The answer is that Jesus wore a crown of thorns because he is a suffering king. It is impossible to read this passage without coming to grips with one of the most challenging doctrines in the Christian church, and that is the doctrine of total depravity. D.A. Carson notes that this scene depicts humanity at its worst. This is a scene filled with grotesque violence and obscene brutality perpetrated against an innocent man the innocent, sinless Son of God. And yet, Jesus not only went willfully, but joyfully to the cross. He went willingly and joyfully to wear a crown of thorns on His head. He willingly suffered, and He joyfully died. Why did He do it? Jesus wore the crown of death so that we might wear the crown of life. In Psalm 103, verse 2, we read, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Perhaps that text was on the mind of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to us in 2 Timothy 4-7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Charles Spurgeon understood this. He was a a very famous man in his day, a very famous preacher, a a man of God. He was also a burdened man. He suffered with bouts of severe anxiety and depression. Toward the end, end of his life, he wrote this. My hope lives not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ has died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that in being unholy, He is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be, but in what Christ is, in what He has done, and in what He is doing for me. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who wore the crown of thorns, who wore our curse, my curse, upon his blood-stained brow. He is the King who died so that we might live. He is the King who served us so that we might serve the world. He is the King forever and ever. He's the King of whom we say, Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease and holiness shall whisper the sweet Amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, His heavenly kingdom comes. Jesus is King. And his crown is the crown of thorns. Let's go to him now in prayer. Our great and majestic King, King of all wisdom and glory and honor, King of mercy and grace and peace. We ask, Lord God, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on this earth, even as it is done in heaven. I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive our sins and receive us into your kingdom, that we might be princes and princesses in your glorious household, O Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that your reign would be near to us and that we would not lose hope As we look to the world and we see corruption and confusion and incompetence and violence and war, we pray, Lord God, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and the crown of thorns. Hear our prayer. We pray in his mighty name. Amen.